1: Matthew chapter 6. And we began our study in these verses, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8, at looking at the secret place. What it means to get in the quiet place with God. And for the record, let me just say this, bridging the gap here to where we're going. That's not just geographical or circumstantial. For example, there are times that on an airplane I have had a meaningful season with the Lord. Uh, somebody said, during turbulence. Oh, yes, you pray during turbulence, but that's not really what I had in mind. There are times surrounded by people that I, I'm in the secret place with the Lord. How many of you understand what I mean by that? So it is not just that, that you don't pray in public. That's not what I'm talking about. It really is more the attitude of the heart towards God that gets our eyes off of the, off of the people and back on the Lord. What, what did the hymn writer write? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. So real prayer is getting Godward. It is is turning the conversation heavenward. And so when you come to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is the teacher. He was the great prayer, of course. He's the one who gives us the access to the Father to pray, and He's the great instructor in prayer. And we come today to the classic passage, sometimes referred to as the Lord's Prayer. It is not the Lord's Prayer. Jesus never needed to pray this prayer because he never needed to ask for forgiveness. So this is not the Lord's prayer, but it is a model prayer for us. And we read it in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. Jesus says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Quite a prayer, isn't it? Quite a prayer. Over the last week, The Lord has been using this prayer in my life. I've read it many times, memorized it long ago. I've preached from it, taught from it from time to time through the years, I'm sure. But in the last week, isn't it amazing how the Lord can take his his sword and start digging around in your heart? And the Lord's been using this prayer in my life. So I'm, I'm not just preaching at you this morning. When I finish preaching in just a few moments, I'm going to ask everybody in the room that's breathing to join me in a prayer. How many of you are breathing? Would you raise your hand? Good. If your neighbor didn't raise their hand, check on them real quick, would you please? In other words, if you're alive, I'm talking to you because if you're alive, the Lord has something He wants to say to all of us. I said to you six times in this chapter, the Lord uses this expression, in secret, and so You find lots of secret things here we looked at the secret place let me talk to you for a few moments about the secrets of prayer and really when we use the word secrets I don't mean it's something you can't know or that God is hidden in fact it's the exact opposite it is the open secrets of the Word of God look please when we say it's the secrets of prayer we mean by that that only Christ can reveal it and sadly enough very few people discover it in fact If you ever meet somebody that really knows how to pray, you'll know it. They won't have to tell you. I don't mean to be spooky or mystical, but the reality is sometimes you get around people and you don't even hear them pray, but you know they pray. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I'm thinking of a man right now. Every time I get in his presence, we don't even have to pray together. Every time I get in his presence, I sense that this man has been in God's presence, and it makes me hungry. Not just talk to this man. It makes me hungry to want to find a place somewhere and talk to the Lord. It's an amazing thing. You see, when when you get around people who've discovered the open secret to God's great blessing, they found the keys. What do keys do? Keys give you access. Keys open the door. Keys, Keys make the way plain. Look, so many of us have stayed out in the vestibule when the Lord says, Look, I'm inviting you all the way in. Come on in to the inner chamber. Come near to the heart of God. The prodigal didn't have to stop on the porch, praise God. He got to come all the way into the house. And I want you to know that God has made a way through the Lord Jesus Christ so that everybody in this room, this is glorious, so that everybody in this room, not the pastor, not the evangelist, everybody in this room has the privilege, if you want it, if you want it. He's not going to force it on you, but you have the privilege of coming boldly into the presence of Almighty God and talking with Him. What an amazing thing. What's the secret? Let me give you a little phrase here I want you to mark in your Bible before we walk through this prayer. I want you to mark in verse number 9 this expression, in heaven. It's very important. Our Father, which art in heaven. And he repeats it in verse 10. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is. There it is. Would you mark it? In heaven. It's not the first time He said that. Matter of fact, remember this is part of a larger sermon. Back up to the end of chapter 5, just a moment. Notice how the previous chapter ended. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is what, church? In heaven is perfect. And look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Notice how it begins. Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, ye have no reward of your Father, which is what? In heaven. Sounds to me like this is one of the keys. Now, I say to you, just as an entry point this morning to these secrets of real prayer, that prayer has less to do with earth and more to do with heaven. How many of you, look at me just a moment, how many of you have someone or something on your heart that you're burdened about, troubled about, concerned about, some need? Would you raise your hand, please? All right? Let me tell you the temptation and tendency for all of us. We get so consumed with that that we're not really consumed with Him like we ought to be consumed with Him. In fact, look, please, this thing, this person... They they can be God's prod to you that drives you to God. Lincoln said in the heat of the Civil War, he said, I have been driven to my knees many times by the realization that I had nowhere else to go. Sometimes God just gets you to the end of yourself so there's nothing else you can do but pray. But if you're not careful, here's what will happen. Even your prayer life will be so consumed with earth that you miss the great objective of prayer. What is the great objective of prayer? It is to find out what the God of heaven wants. It is not you getting your will done on earth. It is getting the will of heaven done on earth. That's really what it is. Spurgeon said the prayers God answers are the ones that start with him. What did he mean by that? He meant by that, you don't think up what you want and bring God your laundry list and treat God like you're Mr. Fix-It or like some slot machine. All right, God, this is what I need from you today. Instead, you come humbly and honest to Almighty God, and you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm going to lay out myself and my needs to you, and then I'm going to believe that you are more than able to meet all of these needs and much more besides. You see, heaven This is the great thing that all of us need. And what does prayer do? Praise God for this. Prayer gets you in touch with heaven. It is the prayer line between where we are and where God is, what we need and what God has. So what are the secrets that get us in contact? Well, let's walk through it. Start with me right here in the prayer in verse number 9. After this manner, therefore, pray. By the way, let me pause, pause, time out just a second, parenthesis. Did you know this exact prayer? Well, not exactly. But this same model of prayer is also found in Luke chapter number 11. And there's some variation between the two. By the way, it was given at two different times. That's fascinating to me. Here, there's 66 words. In Luke's account, 50-some words, I think it is. And the Lord taught this same model of prayer two different times, two different settings. Now, watch this. The repetition says to me this was important enough for him to preach it not once but twice. The variation tells me that we should not use this as some, excuse me, superstitious kind of hocus-pocus, like if I say the right words, then it'll all be okay. This was not a prayer simply for you to recite with no heart. This was a prayer that was to guide all of our prayers. So when we come to this manner that the Lord teaches, don't miss the message. Notice how he begins, Our Father. Our Father. Which art in heaven? Would you write this one down? I'm going to give you a list. Make the list. Would you please? Number one, here's the first great secret of prayer you got to begin with relationship. You got to have relationship. And so he begins here with a family expression our Father which art in heaven. Can I ask you a question? Is God really your Father? Do you really know Him that way? I'll tell you what's sad. We're living in a world where so many young people are growing up without a Father or with a father who's abusive, or with a father that is far less than what he ought to be. And by the way, all of us dads would acknowledge that none of us are what we ought to be. None of us reflect the heavenly father like we ought to. But we're living in a generation where so many people have such a skewed view of even the name father that they have a skewed view of who God is. Now, I say to you, the heavenly father is not anything like earthly fathers. No, he's the perfect father. And the only way to have God as your father is to have Jesus as your Savior. How do you come into the family of God? You come into the family of God when you are born again through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way of salvation. Now, I ask again, is God your father? Do you have that kind of relationship with him? Grant's here today. He's our youngest. He's 16. And we have two daughters. Morgan is 22. She just got married in January. And so we have a son-in-law now, pray for me, would you please? And then we have another daughter, And Lauren is 19. You know, you could, you could put me in a room with hundreds of children and young people and young adults and let them all say something and talk and that kind of thing, but there are three of them if they say, Dad. I know exactly who they're talking about. Do you know why that is? Because they belong to me and I belong to them. Oh, this is a precious secret truth. This is a precious, wonderful mystery. Watch this, please. That the God of eternity has made a way so that you and I could come into his family and by being members of his family, it means that we have access to all that the Father has. A couple years ago, Morgan called me from college. How many of you... Parents out there know when your kids call from college, you immediately think something's wrong, yes? I mean, it's either something happened or, Dad, I need money. One of the two, right? And I was in a hotel room somewhere by myself, and the phone rang, and I answered it, and it was Morgan, and she chit-chatted, and we talked for three or four minutes, and, and finally, finally, I, I said to her, Well, Morgan, what did you need? And I got really quiet on the other end. She paused for a moment. And she said, I didn't need anything. She said, I'm just thinking about you, and I just want to call and talk to you for a minute. Tell you I love you. We finished our conversation, and I hung up. I'm alone in a hotel room. And the moment I hung up, the Holy Spirit said to me, don't you know your heavenly Father would like that every now and then? Father, I didn't need anything. I just want to tell you I love you. I'm just really glad to be in your family. I don't know why you made it so I could be one of your children, but I sure am glad you did. When was the last time you had that kind of communion with the Heavenly Father? Not just relationship, but fellowship. Paul wrote to the church at Galatians and uh, to the church at Galatia, and he talked about the Holy Spirit living inside of us and crying out, Abba, Father. It's one of most tender, precious terms in Scripture. It is a term of real intimacy and endearment. It's still reverential, but it's in intimacy and endearment to God. Look, do you have that kind of relationship with a heavenly Father? You understand we're members of a greater family? Look, at, look around you just a second. Don't look at me. You can't look at me. Everybody look around you. Look at those people sitting around You see all those people. Aren't those nice people? Look at them just a minute. You know what you're looking at? Those aren't just church members, church attenders. Those aren't even just friends. How many of you are saved? Would you raise your hand? If you are saved, you are looking at brothers and sisters. That's what you're looking at. By the way, we ought to get along with each other. We're going to that father's house for a big reunion soon. We're going to be there for a long time together. So, The reality is... God's people need to start thinking in terms of family and in terms of father. Look at the verse just a minute. This relationship is not just a family relation, meaning our father, but look, it's a faith relationship. Our father, which art in heaven. Look, please. It gets this view, this perspective of God, that God is above all and God is greater than all and God sees all and God knows all and God can do all. And I'll tell you what happens to most of us. We get stuck down here where we're living. We get stuck. Some of you are stuck. I don't know a handful of people in this room, but some of you are stuck in something that happened to you this week or maybe something that happened to you long ago. You're stuck at something you can't get over. You're stuck at something in your mind. You're stuck in something with your family. You say, I just can't get out of this rut. I can't get out of this this place where I am. I'm going to tell you how to get out of it. You ready? Stop trying to get out of it and get your eyes back on the Lord because only heaven can get you through earth. Only the Father whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Only the one who sees from his vantage point in heaven the end from the beginning, who knows everything, only that God is able to meet the deepest need of your life. You want to get your prayers answered? Then come to God on the basis of the finished work of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you say, Our Father which art in heaven. That is the entry point of all true prayer. When you come to God, don't just launch into, dear God. No, no, our Father. By the way, it ever dawn on you what a tender expression that is? It's the word Jesus used for the Father. (laughs) In the garden, he cried, Abba, Father, Papa. And now he gives us that title. Now he gives us that term. Now he gives us that access. Do you understand that through the Son you have access to all of the riches in glory that belong to your heavenly Father? Let me ask you something. Why are we living like a bunch of paupers when our heavenly Father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and holds the whole world in the palm of his hand? I say to you we must go back to beginnings relationship that's not all look at our verse again our father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven would you write down a second little secret you want to get to god number one there's got to be relationship can't skip it but number two there must be reverence that's really what you find here reverence Matter of fact, would you do something? I want you to take your pen, and I want you to underline one little tiny word, but it means something. It's very important. There's a divine order and a priority in it. I'll emphasize that you underline it. Ready? Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Did you ever notice it was thy, thy, thy that begins the prayer and not my, my, my? We get pretty selfish in prayer, don't we? You know what's ironic? In the one thing where we think ourselves to be most spiritual, we pray. We actually reveal how truly carnal we are. Listen to yourself pray. All right, Lord, I've got I to hurry up and tell you my list. Don't you know God already knows your list? And we start telling God all oh, that we think we need. I'll tell you, my experience has been this, that oftentimes my felt needs are not my real needs. Now, everybody in this room has needs. It may be marital, financial, your kids, uh, emotional. Uh, It could be be spiritual. It could be physical. I don't know what your needs are. Everybody in the room has got needs. But I'm going to tell you what I've discovered. Many times what we think are our greatest needs are not really our greatest needs. They're the fruit things, not the root things. And only true prayer can get you to the real need. You say, well, well, what helps me understand that? Only one thing. Look, please, you've got to get your eyes off of yourself and on God alone. And I love this. When Jesus begins his prayer, he does not begin with our request. He begins with the Father's reverence. Look at the three things that he says here. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What is this? This is honoring God. I think sometimes we just rush into prayer. Now, don't get me wrong. You can pray in a moment's notice. You can cry out the shortest prayer on earth. Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Sometimes you don't have any other time to pray anything else. But I think sometimes in our prayer, we have become so mechanical. Excuse me. We are religious robots going through the motion. And so we go through our little prayer that we say all the time, but there's no real heart in it. Let me tell you how to begin. Begin by thinking about how glorious and great and good your heavenly Father is. Hallowed be thy name. You don't come on your own merit. You come on the merit of a God who is gracious gracious who allows you to come into his presence. What does the name do? Oh, the name is the access to everything. It's it's what brings the authority. It's what brings the power. It's what brings the riches. Honor the name of our great God. Did you know the word hallowed is only twice in our Bible? You can take your whole English Bible and read it from cover to cover, and you'll only find the name hallowed twice, here and in Luke 11, and both times it's connected to God in prayer. Both times it's connected to the name of the Lord. It literally means that in our mind, the Lord must be so separate, so apart, so greater than, watch please, that it defines everything else we're about to ask him to do. Look at the next one. He says, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. <laughs> thy kingdom. What's this? This is hope. This looks to the end, to the future. In our prayers so often are... Or in the present, because whatever's staring us in the face today, i got to get this right now, Lord. I, I need this right now. And this is fascinating to me. Before he gets to give us this day our daily bread, this day, he goes all the way to the end. Thy kingdom come. What is the last prayer of the Bible? What is the last prayer of the Bible? It's found on the last page of the Bible, Revelation 22. You know what it is? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Let me just tell you something. That prayer will purify all the rest of your prayers. I'm going to tell you why. Because there's some things you won't ask for, there's some things you won't want, and there's some things you won't worry about when you get a view of eternity. In the end, some things just don't matter. Dear Lord, I just want to see you. When was the last time you prayed that? I mean, seriously, let's just pause a moment. When was the last time you said to God, not, dear Lord, I want to get out of this mess, That's usually what we pray for, isn't it? When was the last time you said, Lord, I can't wait to see you? Could today be the day, Lord? Could this be the Lord's day? When was the last time you looked at a cloud and thought, Jesus could step out on that any moment? We don't even live that way. You know what prayer does? Prayer makes you God conscious. Prayer lifts you out of time and into eternity. Now, you know, we live in time. I know what time it is right now. I know what time your pastor normally stops preaching on Sunday morning. How many of you are glad I know that time? I ask, just so you'll know. I know about what time I'm going to be done preaching today. I know what time tomorrow I have to catch a flight. I know what time on Tuesday I have a meeting. I live in time. How many of you have a schedule this week? You've got something scheduled this week, yes? Appointments? We live in time. Watch this, please. God doesn't live in time. Time lives in God. God holds time in the palm of his hand, looks at all of it. He's outside of time. Say, how do you know that? Because God created time. Read Genesis again. He's the one who started time, and when time is not, let me tell you who's still going to be here. The everlasting God is still going to be here. What does that mean? It means that some of us who are stuck in time and can only see this little blip where we're living right now don't have the full perspective, but there is a Father in heaven who sees it all, whose kingdom is coming, whose Christ will be reigning, and that thought ought to clarify everything we ask our God to do. There's a third one. Look at it, please. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Don't miss this one. Lord, help us. Don't miss this one. Thy will be done. What is this? This is the humility that says, Lord, I don't know what to do. Have you ever been in the place where you just didn't know what to do? You know, I'm going to tell you one of the first prayer lessons I ever learned was. You ready? It took me a while to learn it, and I keep learning it over and over and over again. You ever notice in God's classroom how you keep getting the same lessons? But I'll tell you what, one, one of the first great lessons I had to learn was that, about prayer. It is this. You ready? That I don't know how to pray. Romans 8 says the Holy Spirit helps us because we just don't even know what to pray for like we ought to. You know, sometimes we, we get pretty arrogant, don't we? And we prance our way into the presence of God and demand of God something. And then the Lord just goes, psst, and lets all the air out of your balloon until suddenly you're lying, <laughs> broken and humble before the Lord, and you say, God, help me. I don't know even what to say. I think the Lord says, good. I've been waiting for you to get there for a while. See, look, please. The end of you is the beginning of him. As long as we know and we think we got it figured out and we can fix it. And dear God, I just need a little help today so I can take care of this. Look, you're not living in the power of God. But when you can come to the place where you say, Lord, not my will but thine be done. Does that sound vaguely familiar to anybody? It was the prayer Jesus taught at the beginning of his ministry. It was the prayer he prayed himself at the end of his ministry in the Garden of Gethsemane. He didn't just teach it. He lived it. Dear God, help us not just learn it. Help us live this prayer. Thy will be done, Lord. Whatever you want, dear God, that's all I want. And by the way, don't miss this. Thy will be done, mark this, in earth as it is in heaven. I've been chewing on that. What does that mean? In earth as it is in heaven. How is God's will done in heaven? Would you like the answer? Perfectly. In heaven, it's done completely like God wants it. This is quite a prayer right here. This is not just a prayer, Lord, help me have a better day. This is a prayer that says, dear Lord, I want your perfect will done in my life in every area. I want everything you want completely done in my life. I wonder, I dare you, are you willing to pray that for your family? Are you willing to pray over your children and grandchildren and your future? Dear Lord, I just want whatever you want. That's all I want. Paul said in the New Testament, Colossians chapter 3, I think it is, verse number 10, he said that there was a man that prayed for the believers that they would stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. That's quite a prayer. All the will of God. Yes, all the will of God. Nothing less than the will of God, nothing more than the will of God. I I don't want to fall short of it, and I don't want to go beyond it. Lord, thy will be done. What is this? This is viewing God with reverence as we ought to in prayer. You want to get your prayers answered? Number one, there must be relationship. Number two, there must be reverence. Let me give you a third one. He brings us now to the requests. Matter of fact, I can prove it to you that they request. Look at it, verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Would you mark in your Bible in verse 11, 12, and 13, us, us, us. Do you see how he moves from thy, thy, thy to us, us, us. So we get near God and we get the right view of God and then then we are ready to bring our petitions before the Lord. I love the fact he uses the plural Because he's not just praying for himself, he's teaching us to pray for one another. Hey, you know that family member you looked at a minute ago, that brother or sister in Christ across the aisle? They need your prayers this week. The kindest thing anybody ever does for me is pray for me. Ever. And I meet people across the country who say, I just want you to know I pray for you every day. I want to tell you, that means more than any amount of money anybody could ever put in my hand. Because I know something. When those people are praying for me, that gives me access to all that God is. Don't you think we've had enough of what men can do for us? Don't you think we need to see what God alone can do for us? And so he brings us here to these great requests for us and for those that we love. What are they? Look at them. They're all three daily things. First of all, daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Why would he use that expression? It's a reminder that every day we're dependent on the Lord. The children of Israel, every day, had to go out and pick up fresh manna and it had to come down from heaven. And it's a picture, a symbol of exactly the way God designed the Christian life to be lived. You can't live a single day without the Lord. What is today, church? What is today? I didn't hear you. What is today? Sunday. What is tomorrow, church? You sound excited about it, too. That's good. Monday. Monday. Watch this, please. You need God on Sunday? Oh, yes, preacher, we're going to church today. No, no, you need God on Monday. You need God on Tuesday. You need God on Wednesday. Listen to me. Every day must be a day of dependence on God. You want to start having better days? I'm going to tell you how to do it. You ready? No formula, no equation, no seven steps to success, no uh, self-help talk for the morning. I'll tell you how to do it. Every morning when you wake up, before your feet ever hit the floor, before you ever get out of bed, before you speak to anybody, and certainly before you reach for your mobile device and start surfing the Internet, Stretch yourself out on your bed and make that bed an altar and look up to heaven and say, Father, I give myself to you today and I take from you all that you have for me this day. Help me today. I can't do anything without you, but with God all things are possible. I'm leaning on you, Lord. And I tell you, you start every day that way and every day you will see the divine provision in your life. Every day. And that's not all. Keep reading. Uh, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So I not only need daily provision, I need daily pardon. Are there any other fellow sinners in the room today? I'm just curious. Any other fellow sinners here? I like what Moody used to say. He said, keep short accounts of sin with God. You know what we do? We get a long ledger running. And it goes for days and weeks and sometimes months. By the way, that's how people get thoroughly backslidden and out of fellowship with God. And then we wait for the revival meeting to roll around, the tent meeting to roll around, and we say, now oh, let's all get right with God. Let me tell you how to get your prayers answered on any day that you need to get your prayers answered. Stay close to God every day. You do know how you can pray on your worst day? Pray every day. The prophet said your sins and iniquities have separated between you and your God. May I ask you a personal question? Is there anything between you and God right now? Anything. So, why are you being quiet, preacher? We don't like that quiet. No, no, the Holy Spirit speaks when it's quiet. Anything? So, oh, but it's small, preacher. No, 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 no. Nothing between you and God is small. Nothing. It holds back heaven's best. Is there anything at all between you and the Lord? My favorite revival hymn, probably not the one I hear most often. The one I hear most often is Revive Us Again. But my favorite revival hymn was written by the son of a slave. His mama was a slave. His daddy was a free man. He could have gone out free. But he loved his mother so much he stayed with her. He was was raised as the son of a slave woman. It was a good thing because she knew Jesus. And she led her boy to Cod. He went to Philadelphia to go to college, and while he was there, he got a job as a janitor in a big downtown church in Philadelphia. His job was to, to sweep the steps and keep the doors open, keep things clean, all those fancy people, Philadelphia coming to church with their nice Sunday clothes on. They didn't think too much about that fellow until a few years went by, and he became the pastor of that church. Can you imagine that? And one day as the pastor of that church, That dear Christian man took out a pen and piece of paper and penned the words that are my favorite revival hymn. They go something like this, Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Not of this world's delusive dreams. I have renounced all sinful pleasure. Jesus is mine. Let nothing between. You know what Jesus is saying here? You want to get your prayers answered? Then get all the junk out of God's way. Dear Lord, I don't want anything between me and you. I don't want anything between me and somebody else. Forgive my debts as I forgive my debtors. I want to be clean and I want to be right. I need not just daily provision. I need daily pardon. Every day I need my sins forgiven and my heart cleansed and my fellowship renewed with Almighty God. Let me point something interesting out. Notice how it immediately leads into the next one. And, and. Excuse me, kids, for using a dirty word on Sunday. Even the conjunction means something. The conjunction is a revelation. Look, please, it doesn't stop with getting forgiveness. Look at it, verse number. 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Do you see how in verse number 12, he's dealing with his past sins, but in verse number 13, he's asking God to keep him from future sins. Let me let you in a little secret. You'll know you're really getting right with God when you don't want to go on sinning. People say, God will forgive me. Friends, God forgave everything at the cross of Jesus Christ, but you won't experience that forgiveness and cleansing and fellowship until you stop making excuses for your sin and blaming somebody else for it and presuming on the grace of God and instead have an attitude of repentance that says, Dear God, I not only want to get right with you, I want to stay right with you. And so what does he pray in the third us here? Would you write it down? He prays for daily protection. Lord, lead me in the right way and deliver me from evil. Keep me out of sin, Lord. Keep me away from what I'll be kept away from. Do you know repentance is not an event? It's a way of life. It's a life of repentance. For example, somebody in this room, somebody in this room doesn't know Christ as their Savior, and they repent of their sin, and they believe on Christ, and somebody says, praise God, they've repented, and they believe the gospel, and they're saved. Wonderful. But let me give my testimony. May I give my testimony? I got saved 40 years ago. I was five at the time. I was not a murderer or a drug addict at five years of age. Did I repent and believe the gospel? Yes, I did. I understand more about that now than I even did then. But there was a moment when I looked to the Lord. I turned away from me and to Jesus, and I put my faith in Christ and Christ alone. But I'm, I'm testifying now. I've done more repenting since I was saved than I did when I got saved. And let me remind you who he's speaking to. He's speaking to his disciples. It's not just a bunch of lost people that need to repent. God's people need to repent, and it's not just a one-time prayer you pray on Sunday every week. It is a life of repentance that says, Dear Lord, I want to stay in fellowship with my Heavenly Father. What are the secrets of prayer? Well, first, there's relationship. Then there's reverence. Then there's request. And then, number four, don't miss this. There's a recognition. Notice how the prayer ends. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. (laughs) You know, I don't know why this is. That we almost think of the end of our prayer as like a tidy way to wrap it up. How do we end our prayer? Let's all say it together. Ready? In Jesus' name, amen. And honestly, we almost start using that like it's the way we sign off. Could I remind you that is just as much prayer as everything you prayed prior to that? In fact, that is the exclamation point on everything you prayed to that moment. That every word of prayer matters. And look, nothing is incidental in Scripture. This is providential. When you come to the end of this prayer, He is giving you some things to recognize that are almost like the filter to everything you've prayed. You ever see a funnel? Look here just a second. You ever see a funnel, everything comes down to one point? I love this. Where does God bring us back to? He doesn't leave us with our daily bread. He doesn't leave us with our debts. Praise God for that. He doesn't leave us with our temptations. He doesn't leave us with the thought of evil. Where does he bring us back to? He brings us all back to God. True prayer always begins and ends with God alone. And when you come to the end of the prayer, what is the great recognition? Well, let's just walk through it for a second. Look at it. Thine is the kingdom. What's he saying? Father, you're the king. <laughs> Rule and overrule. By the way, it's a pretty good thing when your daddy's the king. Would you agree with that? You're a heavenly father. Father. You have such access to. You're so close to. He is also so great and mighty and powerful. He sits on the throne of the universe, and he rules over all. When you come to the end of your prayer, it ought to be with this recognition. Now, Lord, for everything I've talked to you about, would you rule the good and overrule the evil? You're in control. Rule over me now. Thy will be done. King, let your scepter be reached forth however it pleases you. Look at it. Thine is the kingdom and the power. Oh, I like this. What a recognition. Don't ever forget this. There is nothing too hard for our God. What does the prayer end with? It ends with this glorious recognition that nothing is too hard for our God. Some of you, right now, The thing you're thinking about or the person you're thinking about you think is beyond the pale, it's probably not going to happen. Even even when you pray for it, you're not really believing God for it. Could I remind you Hebrews 11 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that his reward rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. This week... I saw God divinely intervene in the life of a family member who spiritually has been struggling and do something that none of us could do. I've been praying for it for months, and this week with my very own eyes, I watched God do that. And I was reminded again that God Almighty is able to do anything and there is nothing too hard for the Lord. Why do we pray when we don't even believe God's going to answer? Years ago, Pastor, I was preaching for Pastor Sexton in Knoxville, on a Wednesday night, he was out of town. I, 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 Honestly, I have no idea why I even prayed this that night other than that the Holy Spirit led me to pray it. We had a little ante room, a little preparation room before the meeting began, and I was there getting ready. And I got ready to leave the room, and I paused to pray for a moment, and I remember saying to the Lord, Lord, would you save someone through this message? Now, remember, it's a Wednesday night. I don't know about here. We didn't have a lot of lost people come to the Wednesday night meeting. But I prayed sincerely, dear Lord, save someone tonight. I preached. I gave the invitation. People responded. We had a sweet time of prayer with God's people. Nobody got saved. And full disclosure, I forgot about my prayer. Pretty bad when we pray for things and don't even expect God to do it. Isn't that pretty bad? How many of you have ever been surprised when God actually did something? It's amazing how the Lord surprises us sometimes. Why should we be surprised? What a day of low expectations we're living in. The next day I came into the office and one of the ladies in the office gave me a man's name. I did not know his name, phone number. She said, this man is a pastor in California and he wants you to call him. I called him. He was so excited, I could barely understand him for a moment. He was about to come through the phone. And he said, we don't know one another. He said, but we're three hours behind you all. And he said, last night, he said, we're in the habit of watching the service there before I go to church. And he said, we watched the meeting last night. And he said, I can't explain this to you. He said, but halfway through the message last night, the Holy Spirit said to me, you need to make the young people of your church sit down and listen to this message. He said, so last night, he said, I did something I've never done before. He said, I got all of our young people in a room, and he said, I took the message that you gave, and we put it on a video monitor, and he said, I made all the teenagers sit there and open their Bible and watch that message. And I thought, well, I'm feeling sorry for those kids about that moment, you know. And he said, when the message was done, he said, I stood up and said to those young people, some of you don't really know the Lord. It wasn't even a salvation message. (laughs) He said, some of you young people, you don't really know the Lord but you need to. And he said, I gave the gospel, and he said, I gave a gospel appeal, and he said, last night we had 13 young people call on Christ to receive him as their Savior. And that moment, boom, just like that, the Holy Spirit said to me, remember what you prayed. You ever think about all the things we might meet someday at the nail-pierced feet of Jesus at the throne of God in heaven if we'd get serious about our prayers and believe that nothing is too hard for God? Thine is the kingdom and the power, look at it, please, and the glory. Glorious God, do whatever brings you the greatest glory. Now, that will filter your prayers. Not what makes me happy, not what makes us comfortable. No, Lord, whatever you desire, that's all I desire. Thine is the glory. And notice this word. Don't miss this word forever. In other words, dear God, do in time whatever is right for eternity what did Solomon write in Ecclesiastes? He makes everything beautiful in his time. Dear Lord, make it all right. You're the forever God. Do your forever work. Let me meet the answer to this prayer on the other side. And then this amazing word. What's the word, church? Amen. Somebody said means we're done. Mm-mm. Amen. It's a word of agreement. It is a word of faith and confidence and assurance. It literally means, so be it, dear God. And by the way, can I remind you of something? Don't ever use the name amen lightly. I'm using my words carefully. It's not just a word. It's a name. Amen is one of the names for Jesus. When you say amen, you are literally using our Lord's name. It's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? Remember, no vain repetition. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in what? Vain. Vain. Dr. Sells said years ago in my hearing, he said, you take God's name in vain any time his name is on your lips and not in your heart. It's not just cursing that takes God's name in vain. No, I think many times we flippantly even talk about prayer and God with very little reverence in our heart and honor and worship for the Lord. And what is Jesus doing for these disciples? He's saying to them, excuse me, in a world of Pharisees, surrounded by hypocritical prayers, stop it. Stop it. Stop going through the motions and just being a religious, functioning person. And instead, learn what it means to really talk to your Father. I said to you when I began that when you get around a person that knows how to pray, you know it. And sometimes that's really where you learn to pray. It's how the disciples learn to pray. Lord, we just listen to you pray. Would you teach us how to do that? I was probably 21 years of age had just started working with the ministry there in Tennessee, and Tammy and I had gone to Alabama to preach. She wasn't preaching. I was preaching, but she was with me. We were in a camp out in the country, middle of nowhere. I was speaking one morning, and the back door opened, and an elderly couple walked in with their Bibles under their arm, and I looked at them from a distance, and and I recognized him. He was a great uncle on my dad's side, Uncle Eustace. Eustace is still alive. I think he's nearing 100 years of age now. He pastored a church for almost 50 years, I think, and Uncle Eustace, he, he walked with God, still does. They sat on the back row until I finished my message, and the service was done. And then they came up and hugged us, and they said, we don't live far from here. And We came over. We wanted to take you and Tammy to lunch and get acquainted with your new bride. And We went and had a meal together, and And then he said, before I take you back to the camp, can I show you the old home place? And they drove us out in the country down a little dirt lane to a farmhouse and a little farm that he had, and we walked around, looked at the garden and and grape arbor and all that, and we had a good time. The ladies went in, sat down in the living room talking, and and Uncle Eustace said to me, I want to show you something special. We went in the house, up a set of rickety old steps to a first landing, I, I remember, Steps went on, we stopped, and there was a little door on the right, and he opened that door, and there was a little tiny room. When I say tiny, I mean it was small. There was, there was one single bed, one twin bed, and one rocking chair. That basically filled up the room, and there were books and Bibles everywhere. And you could tell it was, it was his secret place. He sat down in the rocking chair over by the window, and I sat down on the edge of the bed, and for about an hour, he just encouraged a young preacher. He helped me. By the way, friends, when you encourage one of these young people coming along behind you, you make a world of difference because you have a part in everybody they're going to encourage. Eustace helped me that day. I don't even remember all the things he said. I just remember that he really gave me some wise counsel and talked to me about God, and he helped me. But the biggest lesson was to come. We finished our conversation I stood up and I said, Uncle Eustace, I've got to go. I, we've got to leave. And we had driven our car out, followed them out to the house. And I said, We've got to get back to the camp. And he said, Okay, I understand. He said, Before you go, he said, Can we have a prayer together? Oh, sure, sure. Because, I mean, you know, that's a thing to do. You know, you're supposed to pray. I remembered, I can see it in my mind right now. He got down on that side of the bed and I got down on this side of the bed. And, and Eustace said to me, he said, why don't you pray first, and then I'll close the prayer. And I said, okay. I was 21, full of myself. And I launched into the most beautiful prayer you've ever heard in your life. I mean, it was a dandy. I really wish you could have heard it. It was, it, was, it was nice. I mean, I said every flourishing thing about God I could think of. And I wanted him to hear me, you know. I wanted him to think this young man really knows God. And I said amen, and it was quiet. And when I say it was quiet, I mean it was so still. There was no movement, no sound. For so long, I finally opened my eyes. I thought he left the room while I was praying. No, he, he was there. I can see that old man now bowed low over the bed, tears streaming down his face. dropping on that bed. And then he said one word. I don't really remember all that he said in that prayer, but I remember the first word. He just said, Father. I'm telling you, I've prayed with a lot of people. It was the first time in my life I'd ever been in a room praying with somebody that really, I mean really knew how to talk to God. It was like I was a million miles away and God was sitting on the bed in front of him. I'd never heard anybody pray like that before. And you know, I realized something. About halfway through that prayer, I realized this isn't the first time this man's been in here praying. Like, I think he does this a lot. It seems so natural, it's like breathing to him. And he prayed for me. And the longer he prayed, the more under conviction I got. Honestly, by the time he got near the end of the prayer, I wanted to crawl out of that room. And I thought to myself, I don't know how to pray. I don't know God like that man does. We said our goodbyes and got in our car. I remember this. We were driving down that little lane, and I was quiet for a moment, and Tammy said, telling me something, and I didn't really respond much, and and she said to me, something happened back there? I said, yes. She said, what? I said, I don't know. I'm not sure how to put it in words. All I know is whatever that old man has, I want that. I want to talk to God like that. I want to know God like that. And you know what happens to us, church, after a while? We become professional Christians. But we've lost something of the simplicity and the sincerity and the power of meeting God in secret. And here's the amazing thing. It's like God takes all the keys to prayer and says, here they are. They're dangling on his ring. Would you like them? Would you like to have the keys? Would, would you like to go in? Would you like to? You can have them. It's not that they can't be known. It's that very few people ever learn them. But the first prayer the disciples ever prayed, it was the prayer that led to all the other prayers, it was this pray, prayer. Maybe it would be a good prayer for all of us to make our own today. Luke 11, 1, Lord, teach us to pray.
0: If this Bible message has been used of God in your life or we can pray for you in some definite way, please contact us at enjoyingthejourney.org. We hope you will share the message with others who may also be encouraged by it. For additional full-length Bible messages, please visit Dr. Scott Pauley's YouTube channel. Tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and we want to encourage you to be faithful to attend a Bible-preaching church in your area this Sunday. Thank you for listening to The Weekend Pulpit, and don't miss Enjoying the Journey daily devotional podcast each Monday through Friday.